I'm wearing flip-flops up here because I forgot my shoes. So just imagine I'm one of those laid-back pastors. It's like, hey, don't worry. There's no rules here. Just wear your flip-flops. <laughs> um, but the reality is, you know, it's been, it's been an incredible, amazing, beautiful whirlwind weekend. And we went from, like, Bray and I went from a man-to-man defense with kids to a zone defense this week. On Thursday, we got uh, two beautiful foster babies. Our be- they're here. Yeah, they're... Oh, man, it's, it's incredible. So little, little angels, uh, one-year-old, three-year-old sisters that are just, oh, beautiful. So it's been, it's been awesome. And I'm just going to tell you right now, um, I'm not sure what time it is or where I am right now, but I, I, I feel safe. So I'm just going to start reading the Bible and saying things. Uh, but I'm going to be definitely t- tell, telling a few little fun stories in the midst of the sermon. So, But it's so good to be here. It's like... It's, an, it's a miraculous week. It really is. And we've been going over this series in Ephesians. And we've been, like, it's been, I don't know how your experience has been of it, but for me, I feel like every single Sunday, the furniture in my head and heart is getting rearranged. And, like, I'm, these perspectives are coming, and my heart is being moved and challenged. And it's like, one part, the power of Ephesians that we're looking at this text is one part, the Holy Spirit's doing just some neat things, some really special things, I think, uh, in, our, in our community here. And he's working all over the world, of course, and he does unique things, and he's doing them here. And, um, and it's just been beautiful. I mean, Tommy's message on um, looking at Ephesians and sort of going into Matthew and thinking about living in, out of scarcity or abundance and the fact that the well of God's grace is so full and overflowing and is, scarcity is not our paradigm. We do not live in paradigm. Or Matt talking about creating culture. Like what kind of culture are we creating? Um, uh, Jesus uh, culture or, or something else. And um, uh, Bill's talk about the uh, the family. I mean, those two pieces, the shiplap. Everyone say shiplap. Ship Watch your mouth. Yeah, you know, being, being sort of bonded together. And then last Sunday, just talking about um, really the key ingredients and the vision for community together. It's been so, so beautiful. And as, as I've reflected, we've got two more this week and next week, and we're done with uh, our vision series. So we're kind of jumping through big, fat chunks. And as I, we've been looking at metaphor after metaphor, illustration after illustration. And, and this other illustration sort of sort of hit me in our story uh, to kind of bring us into our text for today, which is um, uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 5, 15. We're not going to read all of it, but I'll look at a few chunks. But, uh, you know, when my kids were little, one of my favorite things, they are little. When they were littler, littler-er, uh, when Michelle was like three years old, maybe, I used to love taking them to the Fun Factory. Redondo Beach Fun Factory. Anyone been there before? Yeah, any thoughts, reflections? Yeah, greatest place on earth, right? Great first date spot. Great spot if you just want to be inspired by the creative genius of humanity. Um, the Redondo Beach Fun Factory, it's an interesting place. You can actually a place you, you can close your eyes, walk in, smell, and go, oh, I'm in the Fun Factory. And it's really not a good thing that you can do that either. Um, and I used to love taking them there because I could take five bucks, right? Play a little ski ball, maybe take them on one of those little fake roller coaster things. We could all risk death on the little loop-de-loop ride they have in there that hasn't been maintained since 1988. Or, my favorite thing, is just putting them on all the demo rides. 
right? So all the arcade is just bustling, and they're all little demos, right? You don't pay anything. It just shows you a scene from the, rot, scene from the game, and then it transitions to the scoreboard, and then back to a scene. And it was so great being able to put my kids on there and be, whoa, Brixton, you're doing so good. Look at that turn, or shoot that guy. Do this thing. It's great. And then it goes, like, top scores, and then back through the demo, and he thinks he's doing something, and I know he's doing nothing. I could take him from there, put him on another one, and the same thing happens, and eventually, right, they get a little older, and they start realizing, like, wait a minute, this isn't, I'm not playing the game. I'm on the demo, and then they kind of look around and go, and this place is creepy. The second one's definitely true, and the first one's true as well. It's, it's this, this wake-up wake moment to go, I'm playing the demo. It was kind of fun, but boy, this is thin, right? This is like two-dimensional. There's got to be more to it, and there certainly is. And I feel like one of the illustrations, uh, as we think about the overarching message of Ephesians, especially in a culture and uh, a world that kind of, it's kind of always been this way. It depends on the century you move into, but there's always some voices or pressures that are calling us in the busyness of our lives, to just accept the mediocrity. To accept that this is what it is. Here you go, enjoy. Right? In, in the busyness of our lives or in the, um, the messaging that we get that's all over the place, coming from even you know, Christian circles and other circles that basically says something like, this is it, the demo's all there is. Enjoy it, it's fun, it's flashy, it's free. What a blessing, right? And you go, okay, that's great. And in, in a world that, that wants to convince us that our life Right? It's, it's just a basic Costco bargain buy thing. It's pretty much it's a good little budget deal. No one's that excited about Kirkland brand anything. But it's cheap and it's affordable and it's responsible. And that's really where we're at. In a world where we so often, ourselves, not even pressure's pulling us into it, but we ourselves want to kind of drink the spiritual NyQuil. Right? Just kind of just relax and think, this is, you know, just kind of get through life. And, and don't think too big about this, about this, this um, what God may have for us. And it's like the letter of Ephesians is just screaming out from chapter after chapter after chapter, especially the first three, but we'll see again today. It's screaming out to us like, no, you're on the demo. There's more to it. Let me tell you about it. Like there's bigger, bigger, bigger things that God is up to. And so we're in this section um, where Paul has been talking about how community works. And Bill brought us into that so beautifully with the sort of just larger concept, the framework for what is community. And one of the major points of Ephesians is that unity and community. And today, for like the, the whole chapter and a half that we're in, or, or two half chapters that we're in, it's basically moral injunctions. It's the to-do list. It's the here's how life operates. It's the house rules of the family of God. Like, here's how we work. Here's how we operate. And um, we're in this, if you want to get super-duper theological and, and uh, blow some minds at a party, like, say things like, oh, we're in the moral paranetic section of Paul's letter. Or you can say, we're in the imperatives. Right? These are the parts where it's, here's what's up. Here's what we need to be doing. And the first three chapters, however, are built upon this notion of, here's the, these are what, big word, indicatives. These are the indicatives. Everyone say Indicatives. Everyone say shiplap. Shiplap. Watch your mouth. Second time I used that joke. It still works, Bill. It's still got some life in it. And the indicative section is telling you, here is who you are. 
here is what is real of you. It's not a section that says, you know, if you work real hard, you might get that grand prize of this, that, or the other. But instead, it is outlining, this is what's true already. And so why we have this title of our, of our series called Ephesians Empowered, you're doing better than you think. And that's the underlying message of it, you're doing better than you think. And so today, as we jump into the moral exhortation section, and could you bring my mic down a little bit if there's someone up there? If not, I'll just whisper. But I get loud. I've been told I'm a loud speaker, and I I embrace that, actually. Um, As we move into uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, what I want to do, I'm going to read some chunks of the moral exhortation sections. But then I want to focus the whole lecture, lecture. Look, I'm, some of my students are here today, so I'm like saying lecture a lot. I want to focus the sermon, the homily, I want to focus it on two, what I want to call load-bearing pillars of this entire section of the text. Two load-bearing pillars of the section concepts. Okay, so let's start off um, 4, 17 to 21, and it goes like this. So I say, and this I insist on, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do. Right? So this letter written to Ephesus, which is not unlike Los Angeles, a sort of major metropolitan area. It's hip. It's cool. It's got the culture. It's got ideas. It's got education. It's, it's, it's going down in Ephesus. Right? And so if you want to ask about Gentiles, quote-unquote, written by um, a, a Jewish believer named Paul, if you want to talk about Gentiles, think about Romans. Think about the Romans. Okay, that's really what we're pointing at. And if you want to learn more about that, come take my class on Roman power, Christian humility, and violence as entertainment. There, there they are. See what I'm talking about? Uh, and we'll talk all about the Gentiles. But when it says, I insist on this, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. If you want to take a picture as to what it's like to live life without a clue of what it has been designed for, he's like, you were once there. Get out of that game. And it says, they are, they're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God. They're separated from life. Understand that. That concept's a big one in this, in this scriptures. Because of their ignorance. Is, that is, they just don't know. They just don't understand that what they're doing is the demo. And it's not the game. And they're like, well, this is, this is kind of fun, I guess. They're separated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to, to sensuality and to Greed to indulge in every kind of greediness. Isn't it interesting that greediness shows up here? Like one of, the, one of the biggest things we fall into when we're playing the demo, when that's all we think we have, is that scarcity that Tommy talked about, right? And scarcity, that feeling of like, I don't have enough, I gotta get this too, but I get this too, don't take mine. It leads to greediness, and it leads to a smaller and smaller and smaller life that is just constricted and tied down and shackled by essentially... Scarcity and fear of, I just don't have enough, or maybe it'll run out. And then also when all you're doing is playing the demo all day long, or all you're doing is wearing Kirkland jeans, which no offense if you're wearing Kirkland jeans, very practical and fashionable. But if that's all you're doing all day long, and thick denim, the denim is so thick on those, just massive thick denim. Um, If that's all you're doing in life, then you're trying to be dazzled. You're trying to suck every ounce of the joy you can possibly get and the pleasure you can get out of it and hope that it'll get you through to the next demo, rinse and repeat. I'm mixing metaphors, baby. That's how we roll. English professors over here keeping track. I know. 
So, so this is what you need to walk away from. And what he says, essentially, you have walked away from, but man, it's seductive, it's tempting, it's calling you back. And he's like, don't go there. You've been there. It's done. They've become callous. They've given themselves over to sensuality and, and greed. But, verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. When you caught a vision for something different, when suddenly you looked up and you said, oh my goodness, what am I doing? This place is creepy and small and boring. There's something so much more. That was Christ. You didn't learn it in this way. Indeed, if you've heard him and you've been taught by him, just as truth is in Jesus. And then it goes on, um, and I'll mention a couple of the specific moral injunctions in, in, in a little bit. But just to give you um, a couple more theme verses out of this passage, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 32, some, some of these family values or house rules. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Verse 5, 1 through 2. I'm um, chapter 5, verse 1 through 2. Now this, this is what we're leading into, and this is where I'm going to get the two load-bearing pillars. I think they're both sitting right here in this, in this passage that we're in. Uh, chapter 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, therefore, let me see if it uses one of my favorite words. No, it doesn't. It uses aun, not gar. Gar is my favorite. Aun is okay. Um, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God, a fragrant, fragrant aroma. All right, so, so in, in the, the beautiful mosaic of all these different isolated moral injunctions that seem isolated, they seem like that's this, this is this, and this is this category. There is this there's this piece that holds it all together, right? Or a piece that's the load-bearing pillar. And the first one, and there is, by the way, given my week, my beautiful, sleep-deprived, crazy, insane, awesome, hearts exploding with joy. Week? There's no outline for you. Don't even look for an outline. I've submitted nothing by way of outline. So you're just going to give it to you. I'm just going to give it to you. That's uh, not in your bulletin. First load-bearing pillar, who do we follow? It's who we follow. It's that pronoun, who. We follow Jesus. That's like the most basic entry-level platitude of anything Christian, right? I mean, it's, it's follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. It's on our T-shirts, it's on our bumper stickers. Remember WWJD back in the 90s? That was kind of a big thing. What would Jesus do? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. What would Jesus do? Right? We ask that question a lot. We say that a lot. We follow Jesus. I mean, that, when you go to the, our ancestors in the faith, in the first century, the, the church at Antioch, which was this beautiful, beautiful, uh, delicious mix of a Jew and Gentile, slave, free, male, female, all one in Christ. This great place, Antioch, where it was there they were first called Christianoi. Christianoi, which literally means little Christies, little Christy poos. Right? And it was an insult, most likely, directed toward the Christians. You're just little Christs. You're little Christy people. And they go, ooh, I like that. Yeah, I'll take that. That's exactly who we are. You want to say in one sentence who we are? We follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. So when we talk about following Jesus, and what does it mean to follow Jesus? It's simple enough, and it's common enough for us. But then... The gorgeous thing about having our sacred tradition right here that we, we, we listen and learn from, what we consider to be a, sort of a God's eye view on a lot of things in history and in, in our time now even with, with perspectives and themes and, and uh, core values that we are just, we're just 
to use an academic term, term stoked on. We are built, built ourselves upon this text. Um, what's beautiful about having it is that we can look to it to ask the question, who is this Jesus we follow? And where was he going? What was this Jesus up to? To say, follow Jesus, that's easy enough. Because then we can take Jesus, sort of pull him out, dress him up with a little makeup on, you know, braid his hair maybe, or, or put, put our favorite T-shirt on him. Um, we can turn the volume up on him when we want. We can turn it down when we want, right? We can make our own little personal Jesus that roots for our team in the Super Bowl, and it's wonderful, right? That's our Jesus. It's so easy to do. But when you have a sacred tradition, it's constantly going, whoa, 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 back over here. No, you need to see what Jesus is up to. You need to come back and remember. And it needs to be a little bit annoying in your life sometimes when you want to say, here's my Jesus. He lo-. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is where Jesus is going. So if you're following him, He's right there, right? So when we look back into it and ask the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? One of the most important things we could ask, and that's why I think Paul brings it up right here in the middle of this whole section to say, if I could sum it up, you need to be imitators of God like Jesus, following Jesus. Uh, So to ask what this means, there are a million places we can go to ask what does it mean to follow Jesus. And certainly, Paul of Tarsus would have sat with the community and explained to them and brought them into that in, in many of his in-person meetings. He would have spent, he spent a long time, I think he spent almost three years in uh, Ephesus. So that's one of his longest stents was in that particular city, ministering in and around Western Asia Minor there. But he would have spent a lot of time talking a lot about this Jesus. And we have these gospels we can look to. And I just wanted to you know, Tommy was able to pivot over to Matthew uh, for, for, for understanding Ephesians a bit more. I'm going to pivot over to Mark real quickly. It's something that I've actually been going, going through with my students right now, and I've been thinking a lot about. But it's this great picture. It's kind of an in-your-face picture of do you want to follow Jesus? Here's what it looks like. Here's what the Jesus following life looked like. And, and the way I picture it, just um, following Jesus, sometimes I get this image in my head of it's like you're hiking in this gorgeous but kind of scary sometimes forest. Right? And, and it's foggy, and he's right there. Right? He's right there. You, you, you know, you, you, you're watching, you're following after him. And you're not sure where he's going exactly sometimes. You're not sure where it ends out, whether there be people to pick us up. But you're like, I'm with you, and that's all I need to know in this life. If I'm following after you, you'll take care of the hour to hour, day to day, week to week, year to year, decade to decade. And I'm right after you. But the question we're asking is, where are we heading on this journey? So this great passage, Mark, Mark 8 through 10, you have this really recalibrating who Jesus was and what it means to have power and what it means to be the Messiah. Jesus takes his disciples through in Mark 8 um, through 10. I'm not going to even try to hit even a fraction of uh, the, pa- the richness of those texts, but I do want to highlight a couple passages, which technically is a fraction. Those of you math people that are following me too. So I'm in English and there's someone in math here probably following me. Mark 8, 34, this great moment, really a a culminating piece in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus, after he's been doing these miracles, he's been dividing um, loaves and fish, he's been uh, healing the sick, he's been loving on the unlovable, touching those with leprosy, those who are socially and physically considered unclean and need to be away. He's been touching them and loving them. And then he asks his disciples, he says, hey, who do people say I am? What are, what's the word out there? What's trending right now about me? What are people saying about me? And Peter's like fired up. He's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to be the first up. I know, I know, I know. Some people say, you know, John the Baptist. Some people say a prophet. Maybe, maybe Elisha. 
And he goes, okay, cool. Who do you say I am? Who do you say? Because that is the question that makes all of the difference in your universe, your world, our world. I don't believe in multi-universes or personal universes. We're right here all together, baby. That makes all the difference. What, what do you say I am? Who do you say I am? The who? And Peter goes, oh, you are Christ. You are the Messiah, Mashiach. That's who you are. And Jesus goes, awesome. Now, you want to follow Messiah. Let me tell you where I'm going. I'm going to be denied. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. And they're like, Peter's like, stop, what? Jesus, come on over here, man. Maybe you had a little bit too much of that wine from that Cana wedding that you, that you brought. Because, like, you're not thinking clearly. Messiah doesn't die. Messiah does not die. This is not how it rolls. And he's like, dude, get behind me, Satan. He goes, Peter, Satan, right? He says, you're being diabolical, bro. You are putting the interest of man ahead of the interest of God. Let me tell you about God's priorities. Let me tell you about it. I'm going to a cross, right? And then he gets the whole entire community together in Mark 8, 34. And he summons the crowd with his disciples. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The Jesus-pursuing life is not going to be Download me and I'll help you organize your finances, right? Download me and I'll get that, take care of that boss or that promotion you're looking for. I'll help your kids stop smoking pot, right? That's what Jesus is here to do. Which right, might be nice. All that might be really nice. But he's like, no, this is going to be a different thing. You follow me. It's going to get scary. It's going to get dark. It's going to get foggy. It's going to be hard. There's going to be a hardship there. And you need to know you need to be right on my heels, Right after me. Because if where I'm going, you can't hang, then, it's, th- then you might as well set up a little camp here. Because I'm, I'm going forward, and I want you with me. Uh, and then in Mark 9, I'm just jumping uh, this, down this beautiful hallway of Mark 8 through 10. Mark 9, uh, verse 13 to 16. Mark 9, 13 to 16. Uh, and there's this great episode. And they were bringing children to Jesus. They were bringing children to him. So he might touch them and bless them. But the disciples rebuked those people. So, like, again, back to an ancient Mediterranean context, we love kids, we love babies, like, we love hearing them cry in the service. When I hear a baby cry, it fires me up. I just, moms and dads know that. I, I get it, and I love it. Right? We all do. It's like, that's life. Well, the ancients, kids were kind of like a drain on society. I mean, they didn't help out with the household production. They're certainly not helping out with the home defense. And they're, all they're doing is consuming and crying and taking. I mean, it's it's. They would name, like Romans would name their kids, like, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I'm not kidding you. Like, that literally, primus, secundus, tertius. Like, there's a guy named Tertius that actually was the scribe for Paul in Romans. So read Romans 16. You'll see, I, Tertius, who write this, greet you. His name was three, or the third one. You say, what do you want to name? I had the third one. So kids were not something necessarily treasured in the same way. And socially, they weren't even on the map of hierarchy. They're, they're just not even, like, they're an afterthought. And they're coming wanting to get to Jesus. The disciples are doing probably the proper thing. You know, he's much too busy. He's got important things to do. So let's just go ahead and hang them back. Get off my lawn, kids. Slow down. Right? They had rocking chairs all of a sudden sitting in. Okay. And Jesus, what does he do? It says this. Jesus saw this, and he was indignant. He was indignant with his disciples. And again, He's taking his disciples on a journey. We are, by the way, those of you that are disciples of Jesus, you're on that journey too, of misunderstanding Jesus and him firmly with love going, you misunderstand me, and I'm going to say it right now because we're not going to go another step 
And so you get where we're going. Or at least you understand the steps were taken. He says, he was indignant. He said, permit the children to come. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. These are those that populate the kingdom of God. It's this. And you're like, wait, them? They're not even on the register of the ancient Mediterranean world. They're barely, you know, moving the dial for us in our society. And Jesus is saying, not they are the future. He's saying, it's like this. This kind of heart, this kind of life, this kind of, of beauty that, that populates the kingdom of God. So he rebukes them. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. And he took them with the, in his arms and he blessed them and he laid hands on them. There's Jesus calling a beautiful time out and making the center of attention a group of, of people that really gave him nothing back. And he saw everything in them. Like this, is, this is where Jesus is going. We follow Jesus. We imitate Jesus. This is where Jesus is going. And then the last passage I'll read to you from Mark, Mark 10. Uh, it really goes from 35 to 45, and I'll read 42 to 45. But the context is something like this. Jesus' disciples are cruising around, uh, and two of them, two of them start, uh, they ask, hey, Jesus, can we sit at your right and your left when you come in your glory? Like, we want glory, baby. We want to be at the seat where everyone sees us. We want to be in the victory photo. Can we do that? And the, the other tw- uh, ten disciples are getting indignant with them. Like, dude, you guys are such jerks. We were going to ask him first, right? And they're fighting. They're squabbling. And it's a, it's a very typical ancient Mediterranean um, manliness competition. These, this would be very common of just this sort of machissimo, the sense of bravado, the sense of, like, as a man, you've got to compete. You've got to knock knock some heads, you've got to get yourself out in the public sphere for honor, baby. And that's what life's about. That was the demo, right, that most ancient Mediterranean men were playing, was the honor game, the honor and shame game. And Jesus, he calls them to himself. And he says, you know, those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, back to that Gentile reference, this is, again, the hegemonic or the, the, the most powerful crew in, um, in the area, the Romans. He says, they love to lord it over others. They're great men, exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. You want to follow Jesus, this is where I'm going. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be the slave of all. You're reaching and scratching for that top spot. I'm telling you, you're not in the adventure. You're playing a silly destructive, suffocating demo. You want, you want to see where the life is? You want to see where the adventure is? It's in becoming a slave to all. For even, here it is, verse 45, following Jesus. Where is he going? For even the Son of Man, that's a reference to Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's like this great, great, reversal of expectation. And then when you, now, now let's, let's transport back into Ephesians chapter 4. When we now look at the actual moral imperatives that were given, the imperatives, what we're going to notice is this whole pendulum swing of Jesus where he takes it, it's over here, right? And he just, he, he swings it the other direction. You want to be first? Baby, you be last. You want to be great? You serve everybody. That's the Jesus life. That's where I'm going. That's sort of not just Let's just temper it and all things in moderation. Instead, he hucks the pendulum the other direction. Look at what happens in uh, some of these moral imperatives in Ephesians. Now we're back to Ephesians 28. I'll just read a couple of them. Listen to this. Here's some moral instruction. Here's some house rules. 
He who steals must steal no longer, but rather, okay, so it's not just like, don't steal, don't be a jerk. Stop stealing. That's not, it doesn't stop there. Watch where the pendulum goes. Rather, he must labor, work, performing with your own hands what is good, so that, why, why should he work? So he can feel good about himself. So he can pay his taxes and be a good citizen. No, check out why that person should stop stealing and start working, so that he will have something to share with someone that's in need. In other words, you're way over here in scarcity and theft. Don't just stop stealing. Go the full distance where Jesus is and work and have something because you need to be blessed. That's what your life is about. And the second piece right here, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Like, isn't that great? He doesn't just say, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. He doesn't just say, if you have nothing nice to say, well, then say nothing at all. Instead, he goes, if you got nothing nice to say, you better get on your knees, you better open your eyes, you better look around at the goodness of God, at the rich grace he's just dumped upon you, take a breath, and then realize I am here to bless, to just dump blessing out. So get to blessing, get to speaking truth. Think about today, how can I speak life into someone? Even a person that annoys me. Find something. There's something. Maybe it's shoes, which I forgot. And you just go, those are some great sandals. Really, really, they look really cheap, which just means you're an economical person. Speaking to myself. But, but finding truth, finding a built-up moment. And so it's, I just want you to see the logic. And it goes on throughout the whole thing. I'm not going to read it off for the sake of time. I thought I, I was like, I'm only 11 minutes and 32 seconds into my sermon. I'm killing it. Well, the countdown clock's not on. That's just the time right now. <laughs> so I'll take a second lap around that story. Following Jesus is about jumping. It's about dumping love and life into, into some other people. It's about, it's the adventure of not being in it for your honor, for your glory, for your power, your status, your comfort, the accoutrements that come with um, whatever you think is so beautiful, but it's turning off the demo and getting into the adventure, actually getting into the true adventure. Uh, as I mentioned this Thursday, we officially began the adventure of being a foster family. Right? Bray and I are absolutely amazing and difficult and heartwarming and, and the full emotional spectrum that you go through. Sometimes you go in the closet and you're like, what have I done? What have I done? What have I done? Other moments you're like, oh, this is so, I can't believe it. This is it. And some moments you're like, this is easy. This is really easy. I don't know what people are talking about. Next moment where you're like, honey, give me a hug. It's tiring. It's amazing. It's challenging and it's amazing again. And Bray and I have, uh, you know, we're three days in and it's, you know, it's crazy and awesome. And um, we, we've sort of set up for each other some strategies where we'll be like, okay, if each day you need at least an hour to kind of get away. Like, Bray, go and just be with God or go for a run or just kind of to process what's going on. She gives me that time. And, and we take time with our, our, you know, with Brixton and Michelli just to say, like, how are you doing okay? Like, let's process. So we have this little, you know, they can call time out and just come grab me if, if, if it's possible and we'll talk for a little bit. So we're taking those times. And I had one of those moments on Friday after, like, the first 24 hours. And, um, and I went on a run. I snuck behind the gates. Ooh. I did. It's another world back there. I tell you, there's a dinosaurs and gold and time travel. It's all back there. And as I snuck behind, I went for a run. It's beautiful. And, um, and I'm on this run, and it's like this, this moment of, um, I, can't, I can't articulate the, the emotion other than 
it feels like from the second that I saw these two beautiful children, these two sisters that came into our life, it was like God just infused like gallons of love that I didn't know was, I didn't know was possible, right? It, it truly is. It's like going from when you have one kid to two kids. And you're like, how do I love another kid as much as I love the kid? All of a sudden you go, whoa, right? But it was like this insane overabundance fill, filling of love. That I just, it's like it's over, by the way. People sometimes say, oh, I could never be a foster parent. I'd get too attached. And like what our training says is like, well, good. You'd be a great foster parent. That's exactly what you have to do. You have to love these kids with all you got. Right? And it's like, God, just, it's over. I'm done by it. It's over for me. I'm in love. I'm in love with these kids. I'm going to run. And it's been this crazy thing. Didn't sleep like, like five hours, each individually separated by an hour. I mean, that's what the night was like. And I'm on this run. And I'm running up the hill. And I'm telling you. I'm so full of life. And I'm just like, I'm crying and I'm worshiping. And, and the thought occurred, what hit me, the thought that occurred to me is like, I am maybe, I, I've always kind of been in some parts of it, but I feel like I'm in the heart of the family business right now. Like my father's business, my father's business, I'm in the heart of the family business. It's, like, it's amazing. And and I'm, I'm sweeping the shop because I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm new at it. So I'm the guy sweeping the shop. They don't trust me with the power tools yet, right? But, like, I am in the family business. And the thrill and the adventure and the beauty of that is so real. And, and, the, and for each and every one of us, the, uh, the secret is this. This is the secret of following Jesus into sacrifice, into service, into giving of yourself and your resources to others that need it. Here's the secret. It really is coming to life. Suddenly you're in the middle of that and you're realizing before I was, so, I, was, I was kind of protecting things or I was kind of scared for this, that, or the other. And now that I'm here, I am alive. And there's never been life like this with all of the spectrum of it. There's never been true life like this and I'm there. And for all of us, I think that following Jesus, right, it is a call off that demo, out of that NyQuil, off, out of the Costco bargain buy. I know the samples are nice, but get out of there and go where life is happening. And for you, it's somewhere, for us right now, it's being a foster family. For you, it might be something else. Last piece I'm going to close with, because evidently I don't just have, I don't even know what time I'm on right now. I, don't, I do care, but I'm going to go. Load-bearing load pillar number two. Um, it comes from Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. It's who are we? Who are we? The logic of Ephesians has been for the first three chapters, this is who you are. This is how God sees you. This is what God has done for you. This is all what's true of you. And then it switches in chapter 4 into, therefore, live it out. Therefore, house rules. And it walks us through. And in the middle of this moral imperative section, Paul calls time out. As if he's been on a journey with the, with the church, talking through all these things. He goes, stop, 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 stop. Let's come back. Let's not forget. And he says, therefore... As imitators of God and as beloved children, walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What I want you to catch, the second load-bearing pillar, it's who you are. Who are you? And this is the word, this is the phrase, as beloved children, walk in love. As beloved children. That is the peace that if we miss that section right there, all these moral imperatives, all these house rules, it's like putting bricks in an already heavy backpack. They're just stacking rocks into it. That's all they are. But suddenly when you look at the true, your true name, you are a beloved child. And this is something I will, 
I believe with all my heart that is that every single one of us, we have one, maybe two, maybe a dozen names for ourselves that we have made an agreement with a long time ago. You're just, you'll be loved if you work hard enough. But right now you're not working hard enough. Okay, all right, I'm going to work harder next time. Or you're just kind of a jacked up sinner. You really got some weird stuff. You're a sinner. Ooh. Okay. That's what I see. You're not a good husband. You're not a good wife. You're a pretty mediocre parent. Pretty subpar. You might be homeless tomorrow if you're not careful. You better watch that 401k. You better be careful. Because you are not secure. Right? And we hear these things. You're ugly. You're not good enough. You're too fat. You're too thin. You spit when you talk, which is true about me. But I embrace it. Notice the clearance I have right here on the first two rows. And we hear, yeah, there you go. I'm naming. And you hear, you hear these words and you believe them at some point, right? You make an agreement. You say, that's true of me. And it shackles you and it binds you up and it ties you down. And what Paul is saying and insisting, he brings it back to what was the first blessing in Ephesians chapter 1. Where he says, praise be to the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption. For adoption. You are beloved children. That is all, I think, that needs to come through in this, this section right here to make sense of the rest of it. You are beloved children. And the last story I'll tell is, again, I'm in the dark in terms of how time is. Um, the, last, the last story, or the last sort of reflection, um, you know, when you bring in, when you're bringing these beautiful, beautiful girls, and they're here, they're in, they're in the children's ministry right now, awesome. Um, and we're trying to teach them new house rules, right? There's new house rules, new house rules. So we have this one where it's like, you know, if you eat your food, and then you just got to eat a little bit of broccoli, right? You got to eat a little bit just to start getting in the rhythm of it before you get your treat. And it's this beautiful chocolate-covered pretzel uh, that, that Katrine Cooper brought us, which were amazing. I don't know where you are, but you're here somewhere. Um, and uh, the three-year-old, uh, I'm just not using names for the sake of this girl's online, uh, she, she's... Um, She's like, I'm not doing that. No way. I want the, the deliciousness. And I like, just one bite. So she takes a bite of the, eventually, takes a bite of the little broccoli, right? And it's in her mouth. And she's like just holding it there. And you're like, okay, baby, like, you just swallow it. Trust me, it'll get better. Swallow it. It gets better. Nope. So I give her some water. And she's like, like, drinks the water. I'm like, yeah, I must take care. Nope. She somehow stored it in there. And then she sort of is able to fake me out like it's gone. Shows it to me. It's gone. She eats the pretzel, right? Delicious pretzel. And then after she finished it, she spits out the broccoli. And I'm like, I'm like, honey, we don't do that here. We don't spit our food out on the ground. But that's impressive. That is terribly impressive. So she's learning these new house rules. The kids are totally learning things, right? And, and, but the most important thing that Bray and I and, and Brixton and Michelli want to just breathe into these baby girls that have had a very hard life so far, a very hard life, is that I will say it probably... Tw- Three times every half hour, maybe more. I just want to hold, hold them and say, you're beautiful. You are so lovable. You're not just loved. You are lovable. You are profoundly lovable. And just remind them again and again. And, um, uh, the, the last story, I swear. Um, don't swear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But I swear. 
Um, the last story. So the first night is the scariest night in the world because, like, we don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on. Everyone is scared. Everyone's nervous. Everyone's like, oh, what am I doing? What, what are we doing here? Right? And, and nights are very, very hard, very hard, these beautiful babies. And um, the sleep is very, uh, a, ch- a real challenge. And we got the littlest one. And finally, Bray brought her into bed because she's not letting go of Bray. She's like, you're not leaving me. I'm not letting go of you. No way. And we finally bring her to our bed. And, and, and then uh, the beautiful three-year-old, she wakes up in her room. And like, I'm okay. Well, I'll stay here with the little one so she doesn't fall off our giant bed. It's like a 40-foot drop. And, and she goes in to check on the, the, the beautiful three-year-old. And I kind of fall asleep because I'm like at that point where if I close my eyes right now, I gotta say a short, short prayer at the end, or I'll fall asleep. Where I, I'm out and I wake up and Bray's not there, and I go, "Where'd Bray go? Like, where's she at?" So I made sure the beautiful one-year-old's all set. I'm like, "Okay, pillows around her." And I snuck out to go check the the room where where I thought Bray went, and I look in there, and there is Bray on this tiny little kid's bed, right, just draped across this beautiful baby. This real girl is so precious and so lovable, so profoundly lovable. And that's like, I saw this moment, it's one of those things where you're just like, all of a sudden, that is a picture of the mother heart of God, God's nurturing heart. And that is, I feel like, exactly the image that we're getting through in this passage, that you are that beloved of God. He will lay down on that little cot next to you and put his arms around you and be there with you because he loves you so much. And that won't change. And the demo that says it will, and you better play the game the way we say it, it's a lie. So we're, we're transitioning to community now, and I'm so sorry, band, if I gobbled up some time, but I'm sleep-deprived. Um, and this whole idea of having, like, name tags, and I'd buy some name tags, and everyone would have a name tag, and you put the name down that was the lie you believed, the lie that you believed, that you bought into. Maybe you're still buying into right now, and write that down, and then take your community and then throw it away and write a new name. But this week's been crazy. I've bought nothing, so just think of that idea and how cool that would have been. <laughs> And we are going to go up uh, as the band comes up. And band, come on up and, and, um, and let's do this. Um, but as you come up, I do want you thinking about that. Like, I just really those ideas of, like, who are we following? Where is he going? The adventure of it, the life that is there. And then your name is beloved of God. That's, that is the only name that matters in the universe, that you are beloved of God. And those lies and those false names that you've taken, I really want you, maybe metaphorically, maybe you write it down on your thing, and you toss it out. And if you have to toss it out every single day, you wake up, you write that name down, and you toss it out. You burn it. Do it legally. Do it safely. But you burn it. Then you do that. And you remember you are the beloved children of God. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for this night, night, day. I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a period of time. <laughs> thank you, God, for... Uh, what you've been doing and are doing in the lives of so many and in our life, Lord. And thank you that we've been adopted as your children. God, and as we now co- go into taking communion and as we go into also like, Lord, the offering bag goes around and we just, Lord, we want to dump into where it matters, God. We want to invest where it matters, Lord. Give us hearts that see that, that catch a vision for that. Grow my heart and my perspective, Lord. Let me never forget I'm a beloved child of you. I'm your son. And you love me. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. So feel free to come up and take some bread and dip it and uh, reflect.